0: And now, back to Lifeline
1: with Craig Roberts.
0: Which Jesus do you choose to follow? Is it the Jesus that says simply, Believe in me, and I will bring you health, wealth, material blessings, personal empowerment, and ask nothing in return? Or is it the Jesus that says, Come, take up your cross, and follow me. In return, you will be despised by man, hated for my namesake, and as you lose your life for me, you will gain it. The former certainly looks nothing like the latter. In many respects, the former is largely a product of man's own imagination and sinful nature. The latter, though, looks much more like the actual, genuine Jesus we see of the Bible. My guest today helps take us deeper into understanding this genuine Jesus. He is the founding pastor of Cornerstone Church of Simi Valley, currently planting a church right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's the author of a number of best-selling books, including Crazy Love, Forgotten God, and host of the Basic series. He is a pastor, teacher, speaker, but probably would rather the title Disciple Best. He's Francis Chan. And Francis, great to have you on the program today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Let's talk about this Jesus, the the one that oftentimes tends to sort of appeal to man's sin nature. This notion that somehow, if we just uh, believe in God, He's going to magically give us all of this material blessing. And certainly, I want to be clear that that God does wish us to prosper in many regards, even as our soul prospers. And yet, there seems to be a a, a major dichotomy, a major chasm between the Jesus of the Bible and the Jesus that, unfortunately, a lot of Christians. Pretend to follow today.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because I don't see how anyone would come to that conclusion if they just read the scriptures on their own. It's so hard for me to imagine someone reading through the Book of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John and and coming to this conclusion that oh, what Jesus is saying is if I follow Him, what life's going to be easy. I won't get sick anymore. I'll, I'll be rich, um, you, you know, uh, I, I just have to pray this prayer and suddenly everything magically changes. I, I don't see how anyone would come to that conclusion if they read the scriptures on their own.
0: And maybe therein lies the real key, that to the greatest degree there is so much ignorance of who the God of the Bible is, who Jesus of the Bible is. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I think people are taking other people's word for it. I think it's similar to what Paul uh, says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 about how people will try to find these teachers that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. So rather than studying the scriptures for themselves, they'll say, hey, I I need to find a teacher that will tell me that, yeah, I'm going to become rich, or uh, that this isn't going to be a life of struggle. Um, Basically, the health, wealth, prosperity gospel.
0: And, of course, uh, Christ is very clear that he did not come to tell us what we wanted to hear, but rather what we needed to hear.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, and it seems like Jesus dealt with that problem back then, too, of just making sure people understood. He goes, look, listen, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Um, this isn't going to be easy. There's going to be your own family members that will be against you for following me.
0: So much of your ministry, Francis, is focused on helping people get to know in a very real, deep, personal way this authentic Jesus. And I'm, I'm wondering if in, in the time that you've, you've studied church life today and, and many of the challenges that are facing the church, the body of Christ, if perhaps at certain levels part of this misconception as to who Jesus is is maybe because at certain levels the church has made the gospel more complicated than it should be?
1: Yeah, I I think so. I think in some ways we've complicated it, but I I think it's more been an issue of want and desire. Um, In other words, people uh, want the gospel to be a certain thing. Um, You know, like when you you, you look at the book of Mark, you see that uh, uh, people are constantly wanting to come to Jesus on their terms. And Jesus is always adamantly against that. And, you know, he re-explained, no, no, this is what it really means. This is what it means to follow me. And I, I don't know that we complicated it uh, purposefully. It was more that we had certain desires, um, what we would like the good news to be. And so, therefore, we've twisted certain things or, or overemphasized certain passages to the exclusion of others.
0: And, of course, in doing so, then we end up distorting not only the true meaning of, of what the gospel is, but then, too, I would imagine the true meaning of what what church is. Uh, oftentimes, it, it seems as if we're, we're out there trying to have an event called church, as opposed yeah. to experiencing a God who wants to have a relationship.
1: Exactly. Yeah, well, I think in some ways we've complicated things, and in some ways we've oversimplified them. Um, But again, it it comes down to our our sinful desire often.
0: How do we begin to help the church understand the need to to create this paradigm shift? You talk a lot about this not only in your books, but in the new basic video series, this notion that that God is calling upon us to build His church as opposed to build a church. And and can you maybe, for the sake of our listeners, uh, Francis, define the difference between the two?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the greatest thing we can do for people is to beg them to read the Bible for themselves, teach them how to read the Bible for themselves, um, and let them discover for themselves what the Church was like, uh, what Christ was like, what He actually said, um, to kind of erase a lot of these preconceived notions, um, you know, because we, we've kind of defined church as a building that you go to for an hour a week where you go attend service, and you know, which consists of, you know, 30 minutes of teaching and maybe 30 minutes of singing and a few announcements. Um, but again, I, I would challenge, you know, would you find that in Scripture? Um, or is this a tradition that we've... We've created for ourselves, which which isn't bad. There's nothing wrong with getting in a room and hearing the word of God and singing with other believers. It's just in Scripture you see that the church was meant to be so much more than that, and uh, this is this is what we were saved into. It was this body, it was this family where uh, we we practiced the one another's, and there was so much love uh, amidst this group of people that the world. Saw it as supernatural and were attracted to it.
0: And it was something that we were, the church, as opposed to something did, which fortunately, I think, particularly with, with a Western mindset. Uh, in our desire to try and bring a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, success stories and organization and things of this sort, uh, even to a degree, business practices to the way we do church, that suddenly now uh, what we're doing as church today looks very little like the church that we saw modeled in the book of Acts or in the first century.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just wish people would get back to reading it. Um I, I think most of us who study the Word of God on our own, we've lived with this tension of of looking at what, what we see in Scripture and then comparing it to our daily experience and our experience in the Church. And there's such a chasm there. There's just such a gap, and we don't know how to reconcile it. And so it almost seems so extreme that we just kind of get paralyzed and go, oh, gosh, there's no way we could be like it was in Scripture, so, um, you know, let's just make uh, make do with what we have and come up with some tweaked version of that rather than really believing and saying, you know, I don't see why it couldn't be that way. I, I don't see why we couldn't love each other and care for each other's physical needs the same way as they did back then.
0: And to experience real, authentic relationship again this getting back to this notion of church is not something that we do but rather something that we are
1: yeah yeah you know it's interesting when i first started at church gosh this was 20 years ago um i i just went with the normal pattern which was you know put together a service get a bunch of people to show up hire a youth pastor a worship leader and uh you know, the more people you get there and uh, the more people you get making decisions, the the more successful you are. And honestly, I didn't even give a thought to making sure that people really loved each other and cared for one another. And I look back now biblically and go, how do you miss something that huge? I mean, that's the command that sums it all up. And yet I was so focused on just people and their individual relationships with God that I completely neglected their their love for one another.
0: And sadly, sometimes I think in that large church environment, it's an easy one for us to, to hide in or hide behind. And as a result, the, the kind of work that really needs to take place, not only in going deeper in our walk with Christ, that, that notion of iron sharpening iron, But then too, that idea that we can kind of, you know, hide behind the mask of, of big church and doing church as opposed to being Church. If you've just joined our conversation, we're visiting today with Francis Chan, founding pastor of Cornerstone Church of Simi Valley, currently planting a church right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's the author of a number of best-selling books, including Crazy Love, Forgotten God and God, and the new Basic Video series. More information, by the way, on the web at FrancisChan.org. That's FrancisChan.org. When we come back, answering the question, Has the church then been paralyzed by good intentions? Our conversation with Francis Chan continues on this edition of Lifeline.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our very special guest today, he is Francis Chan, founding pastor of Cornerstone Church of Simi Valley and currently engaging in a church plant right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. More information, by the way, on the web about Francis's ministry and his books and the new basic video series. Just simply log on to FrancisChan.org. That's FrancisChan.org. Francis, just before the break, we were talking about this notion of, of engaging in authentic Christianity, the idea of not not doing church, but rather being church. And I think sometimes, as you suggest, we so often get into these habits that we're very comfortable with uh, that we're, we're paralyzed by good intentions, do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's good intentions. I, I think sometimes we just tend to... Uh um, go with the flow, and uh, and we do some good things, um, but maybe not the most important things. I think sometimes we get busy doing things that, that aren't evil, certainly. I mean, they're, they're good things. We just do them to the neglect of what Scripture emphasizes.
0: Yeah, th- this idea maybe sometimes, too, that we get into these habits and it becomes an idea that, well, you know, maybe something is better than nothing here. Uh, Never stopping to ask ourselves, well, what if that's something, though, that we're doing is not the right thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, you know, when you look in Scripture, there's always been the sacrifice that's acceptable to God and that which is not. Um, You know, you look at Cain and Abel, and you go, well, something's better than nothing, right? Well... It doesn't seem like it. You you know, you look at the book of Malachi, and the the priests are bringing sacrifices, but God says, look, that's evil. That's not what I asked for. I asked for the best. And when you look in the scriptures, God says, I want you to present a body to me, uh, you know, the bride to me, but I I want her to, I I want her to love. I, I want her to be marked by love. Um, I mean, this is how people are going to know that Christ is the Son of God, is by the way that we love each other. And so while we can create a lot of energy and hype, if there isn't love, then that isn't what Christ asked for.
0: Is part of the problem here that that we focus a lot in in believing in Him versus knowing Him? And what's the difference?
1: Well, I, I think the way that we use the word belief, um, we just have to be careful with it because, you know, there's a true belief that, that really encompasses everything about Christ. Um, and that, that, you know, if we believe him, then we believe that knowing him is, is the greatest thing there is. Um, if by belief we're referring to the same belief that the demons have, according to James, You know, they believe that God exists, and they even shudder. They're even afraid of him. Um, So in that shallow sense of an intellectual belief that he exists, you know, we definitely need to go way beyond that.
0: You use an illustration in one of the new basic videos where you talk about um, uh, encouraging one of your children to clean up the bedroom. Uh, Certainly a battle that every parent enjoins uh, with great frequency and no doubt equal amount of frustration. And then you outline the difference between a child believing that they've heard what you said about cleaning up the bedroom, actually, then the difference between that and and
1: actually getting it done. Yeah, I I mean, I, I really wanted just to point out the silliness of what we do in church sometimes. When uh, when we we say things, you know, we memorize these verses, such as the Great Commission, um, you know, where he tells us to make disciples of all the nations and baptize them, and and many of us memorize it, yet we've never done it. And and I was just trying to point out, look, I don't care if my daughter memorized the fact that I told her to clean her room um that's not why i give commands and and even in that great commission he, he tells us look i i want you to teach people to obey all that i've commanded you not not to memorize what i've commanded you and again is it wrong to memorize of course not that's a great thing to do but let's just let's just talk simply and obviously here why do people give commands so that others would obey them And I think we've hidden behind this um, guise of, wow, look at how many verses I've memorized. I'm a godly person. Versus saying, no, the commands were given that we would obey them. How many people have you baptized? How many people have you discipled?
0: Let's talk about a dynamic that you discuss at length in one of the basic videos. And that is the way we do, and I'll put that word, Francis, in quotes, the way we do Communion. Uh, You know, I I got to looking at that scene as Christ is engaging in the Last Supper and talking about the significance of what it means and why he is commanding us to do this. And I got to thinking to myself, you know, the picture of that Last Supper that we see Jesus and the disciples sharing together looks nothing like the communion in the average church on the first Sunday of the month almost anywhere in America. And, and the more I read that passage, I thought to myself, you know how interesting it is coming from an Italian family, how the model that we engage in for our evening dinner looks more like the supper that Jesus talks about in Scripture than the supper that we engage in on, on a given uh, first Sunday in the month, that, that idea of coming together one-on-one, looking at each other eye-to-eye, sharing, experiencing, um, having that sense of of communication going on at the deepest levels. And yet, oddly enough, Francis, that's not what we do in church.
1: Yeah, I I was really convicted when I read through the book of Acts and saw how they would go to to house-to-house, you know, breaking bread. And we're such a... um, Gosh, how do you put it? You know, we, we like to be isolated. We want our privacy, and so we don't invite people over to our homes. Uh, the house isn't a place where we have the body of Christ come to and actually share in something so intimate as as the Lord's Supper. So, therefore, we create it more of uh, a uh, you know just kind of pass the plate and uh, you know pass the cups around and and kind of do it as an individual act. And, and I fell into that. That's a that's thing. I'm not judging anyone on this because I realized, you know what, that's what I did at our church gatherings. Um, there was no relationship involved. It was everyone in their personal relationship with God. Um, and, and, and to be honest, that's the way I was more comfortable doing it. I I don't know that I wanted the intimacy. I enjoy, personally, I enjoy hiding in the back of a church, hearing a sermon, maybe even taking communion on my own, and then leaving before I talk to anyone. And so I end up creating an environment very much like that at the church where I I was the pastor, where I started. And it was over time that I got convicted by the scriptures and realized Look, even though this may be uncomfortable to me, this is what God says in his word, and I must pursue this.
0: Imagine if we we took the setting of communion on any given first Sunday of the month in any church, instead of having it in the sanctuary, moving it into the fellowship hall, around individual tables with maybe no more than than 8 or 10 or 12 people maximum to a table, instead of all facing forward, we faced each other, Pass the cup, pass the bread, and actually had real communion, as we see modeled in that passage of Scripture. Do you think that that would have a profound impact on the church and the way we relate to not just one another but Jesus?
1: Oh yeah, I think that would be a great start. It, it, even if we could start there, and then show people that this is something you can do in your home, this is something you can do in your in a restaurant. Um, I think each pastor would really have to think through, okay, what's the best way to move my particular congregation to that next step?
0: Francis Chan is with us on this edition of Lifeline. Uh, We're talking about uh, not just the new video series, Basic, which, by the way, you'll get more information on Francis' website at FrancisChan.org. That's FrancisChan.org. He's also here in the San Francisco Bay Area, currently planting a new church in the city of San Francisco. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our special guest today. He is Francis Chan, the author of a number of best-selling books, including Crazy Love and Forgotten God, and also the basic video series. You can get more information, by the way, online at FrancisChan.org. Francis, as we talk about some of the challenges that the body of Christ, the church, is facing today, and and what you're sharing today from your heart, I think, is a very clear, distinct call to return back to basics, to go back to modeling what we see as the example of the first century church, and the example of the church as outlined in the book of Acts. Is part of the challenge that we're facing today that we have got so Focused on numbers and success and size and buildings, that we've taken our eyes off of the real job here, and that is this basic idea of discipleship.
1: Well, I definitely think there are a lot of things in the current system that distract us. You know, one is the numbers, and, and part of that is is, is the is the way we have to sustain the ministry financially. Um, there are many churches that have gotten in over their heads with mortgage payments or, or salaries. and so then they have to really give, give thought to that and think through, well, how can we raise that amount of money? And, and so even if they don't become the number one priorities, there, there's certainly distractions that keep us from being free to think through what are their priorities in Scripture and let's just pursue those hundred percent.
0: We talked earlier about this notion of of the importance of the, the smaller group environment, again, modeling what we saw of the so-called house church or the, the first century church, where in those smaller settings, it becomes so difficult to hide, meaning that, you know, today you can come in and you might serve as an usher, you might be a Sunday school teacher, you might be very involved, quote-unquote, with the church life, but you're able to kind of slip in one door, slip out another. And while people know you, they don't know you at the level that we see in the relationships that are modeled in the the book of Acts, for example. Do you think if we if we were able to kind of prevent ourselves from hiding that way, that we would see a, a more powerful church, a, a more intimate church, a church that was better equipped at this business of changing and influencing culture in the world around us?
1: Oh, oh definitely. I, I mean, because that's, it's not, it's not my idea. It's, it's what Jesus said. Um, it's, it's when we love each other that way that the world's going to take note. And it's, you know, like he says in uh, in First John uh, four verse twelve. He says, "No one's ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us." It's this idea that no one's ever seen God, but if we could love each other, there's a, a sense in which God's presence would be there and people would experience Him. They would see Him. But, but really, when you walk into the rooms of a typical church, I mean, is love the first thing you notice? I mean, do you really see the people engaging and caring for one another? Um, and yet, if you were to read the scriptures, you would expect that of the body of Christ. You, you would expect that they'd be marked by that, a supernatural uh, sense of love. But sadly, people uh, get engaged in these church services and these congregations and see the same amount of gossip, um, the same lack of discon- you know, lack of concern as they do at work. And uh, in many cases, they, they think it's worse in the church.
0: And, you know, I was going to ask whether or not this is a a problem in the sense that maybe we've just not seen it modeled properly. You know, for example, in, in marriage relationships, oftentimes we see the dysfunctionality of one family passed on generation after generation because they're coming from broken marriages, broken relationships. They don't know what it's like to see a healthy balance in relationship between mom and dad because they're from a broken home. And so as a result, these patterns continue on and on. But the difference here is that we do have a model uh, within Scripture, in which case, then, uh, to try to say that we don't know how to live it because we've never seen it modeled is not necessarily perhaps the case. Then where where is the, the disconnect, in your opinion? What can we do to stop attending church and stop pretending church and start being
1: the church? Well, I, I do think there is a disconnect because, yes, you do see it in Scripture, but for years, we've been told that, well, that was back then and things were different back then, which I don't buy. I mean, of course, certain things were different and there'll be, uh, you know, elements of it that, that are, are different. But people were just as selfish back then. They were just as self-centered back then. They were just, you know, uh, just as much worried about their, their own personal needs more so than others. But they, they changed. Um, now... There, there's, a, there's a disconnect in that it is a, it would be a lot easier if we could see it modeled today. Um, I mean, we see it on paper, but, you know, to get, unless you're just a great leader that, that's able to rally people around, and hopefully there are those people out there. I mean, it's hard for the average guy uh, sitting in a church service or thinking, gosh, I would like to see something more like the Book of Acts. Um, and that type of love, that type of intimacy, that type of compassion. But what do I do to change it? And I think sometimes we start thinking too big. Um, in other words, we think, how can I change this whole church rather than, you know, what, let me just talk to two or three of my friends and let's start living this way.
0: Yeah, because it's easy to sit back and and to perhaps be critical of the systems that we have in place and the challenges that are facing us that perhaps uh, makes a lot of what we do in terms of influencing other lives and ultimately the world around us uh, frustrating and therefore easy for us to either give up on it or try to hold, throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. And, and yet I think the idea of just beginning one-on-one in, in understanding that you know, we, we need to not just follow Jesus in our hearts, which a lot of believers are good at doing, but then there's this question of learning how to follow him in our life. If we can yeah. begin to do that, then I think the step toward modeling back to authentic Christianity and the kind of Christianity that attracts non-believers that say, "You've got something I don't have, but how do I get it?" Then we'll really begin to see the church begin to be triumphant.
1: Yeah, and even when you use that phrase, you know, they do it in their hearts. Um, you know, we have to be careful with that because in, in our our thinking, we think that the heart is this vague, you know, notion of this feeling that we have of yeah, I'd like to love them in my heart. But in their mindset, the heart was the mission control center. It was the the seat of decision making. So it was far more concrete. Um, so to say that, you know, I, I love this person from my heart would mean decision. It would mean action. And so it would actually cause the person to do something tangible for the other person.
0: All right, toward that end, um, let's walk us through some of the ways in which, uh, Francis, based on your experience and observation, that we in the church that, that want to go deeper in our relationship with the Lord, that don't just want to do church, but rather want to be church, where do, where do we start as individuals?
1: I really think that you first have to surrender. I mean, truly surrender and say, "Okay, Lord, I I want to keep in step with your spirit. I want to do whatever your spirit wants me to do. I want to love and and uh, and live in love as the spirit leads me." And then we we start with our circle of influence. And you know, too often we're we're quick to blame the pastor, like, "Oh, well, he didn't." You know, lead us right, and He didn't tell us to love our neighbor. Well, you already read that in your scriptures, so so why don't you just do it yourself? Um, to pursue those you can, to say, hey, will you join me? You know, can we pray for each other? You know, do you have any needs? How can I care for your needs? Uh, you know, the, the early church there was not a needy person amongst them. So, so let's start with each other. Let's commit to each other to make sure that we really live as family. As brother and sister and and that's really what we did as an elder board um back when i was in simi valley was we realized wow we we kind of made some mistakes some big mistakes but rather than starting with the whole church let's look at these relationships right here in this room and let's let's pursue biblical relationships um to love each other as we believe christ would want us to and i i would encourage anyone to do that um because your pastor's not keeping you from gathering with other believers and praying, um, you're not going to say, "Gosh, I was really disappointed that you and your friends prayed all night long." You, you know, it's <laughs> it's not his fault. We we have to take initiative sometimes as believers to care for one another and to really be focused on prayer and. And reaching out and caring for the least of these.
0: And amazing how so often we hide behind, I think, this notion that we're either waiting on pastor to show us how or set the tone or direction, or we're waiting on God, which is which is also a great uh, escapism uh, for the church that we're just we're just waiting on the Lord to move and do something. And oftentimes I wonder, as often as we pray, God move, work, uh, heal. Uh, that God, in fact, is saying, you're, while you're busy waiting on me, I, in fact, am waiting
1: on you. Yeah, wow, that's good. Yeah, it's it's crazy how we, we make so many decisions um, based on want, you know, like I want to watch television, so I will. I want to go on the Internet, so I will. I want to make this phone call, so I will. But then when it comes to ministry, you know, we don't just go and, Start praying, people. You know, praying with people because we want to, or we don't share our faith because we want to. We're waiting for a voice um, to tell us to do those things, and it's just this crazy double standard that we've created, where we are kind of paralyzed, waiting to hear the voice of God when He's already spoken in Scripture. And is part of the challenge, perhaps.
0: Is part of the challenge, perhaps, to this idea that we tend to pick and choose. What seems to be convenient or comfortable, we'll have Francis Chan answer that part of the equation as our conversation continues. Francis Chan with us today on this edition of Lifeline. He, of course, the author of a number of best-selling books, including Crazy Love, Forgotten God, and the new Basic video series. Details on the web at FrancisChan.org. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our special guest today. He is Francis Chan, author of a number of best-selling books. You can get more information, by the way, on his ministry and this new basic video series that we've been discussing kind of around the periphery here today. Information on the web at FrancisChan.org. That's Francischan. Dot O-R-G. Francis, just before the break, we were talking about this idea that sometimes, you know, we, we're more inclined to be waiting on God when, in fact, God in reality is waiting on us. And I'm wondering too, if part of the problem here that so often uh, causes the, the the church to be so emaciated spiritually is the fact that we we tend to just want to pick and choose those things within Scripture that tend to be comfortable or tend to be exciting. For example, I think of Paul's observation. He talked about wanting to know Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship. Of his sufferings. Now we think of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and what believer who, who truly loathes the Lord can't get excited about the amazing power of Jesus Christ overcoming death in the power of his resurrection? But suddenly, then, when we move to the second part of that scripture and we talk about knowing Jesus too in the fellowship of his sufferings, and people say, Well, my goodness, he, he, he was forced to die on a cross, he suffered horribly for our sake. Well, I'm not so sure I want
1: that. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty typical. And the thing is, is we, we have to all be honest and say, wow, that's that scares me. Um, there, there's a lot of things in Scripture uh, that are difficult, that are scary, things that are very uncomfortable to us. Suffering is certainly one of those. Rejection is certainly one of those. And. And for those reasons, we, we don't boldly proclaim this message because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to suffer. Um, and that's, that's very normal. And we have to just you know, speak openly about that and realize, look, even Peter and John, as, as, as uh, bold as they appear to be, um, that was largely because they would gather with the believers to pray for boldness. I mean, even when people were astonished by their boldness in Acts 4.13, you see them later in that chapter getting together with the believers and praying for more boldness. You see, you see the Apostle Paul even asking the Ephesians to pray for him that he might preach boldly. So obviously these are uh, people who struggled just like Timothy did, and Paul encouraged him to, to, to be courageous, that he wasn't given that spirit of fear. So as as believers today, we just have to quit pretending that we're not afraid um, and we have to stop making excuses for our actions. We need to gather together and say, look, I'm afraid to share my faith. Pray for me. Hold me accountable on this. Help me to get through this because I don't want to be a coward.
0: Learning to lose our life, and in doing so, uh, to save it. Spend a couple of minutes as our time begins to wind down today, Francis, and and talk to us a bit about what exactly that means. You know, Jesus talks about how that in taking up our cross and following him, uh, we are going to be despised for his name's sake. People will hate us for following him. But he reminds us that those who attempt to save their lives will lose it, and those that will lose their lives will save us.
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the thing we have to remember in all of this, is that Christ is leading us to an abundant life. And all of this surrender and all these things we're afraid of, we are going to discover once we let those things go, that's when we're really going to find life. This is not about us. You know, so much sacrificing and being miserable for the sake of the gospel. There'll be times of that. But what scripture teaches is is when we let go and pursue that, even, even when we're afflicted, even when we're persecuted, we go away rejoicing. And, and I think most of us have experienced at least glimpses of that times when we've sacrificed something, times when we did something that scared us, and afterwards we had so much peace, so much confidence, so much joy, those times when, yeah, initially it sounds far more appealing to go out and play golf, but we chose to go and serve and make disciples instead, and then afterwards we are so grateful that we made that decision and we go, wow, Lord, There's nowhere I'd rather be than serving you right here. And and I really believe that's what Christ is alluding to, you know, is is this idea of once you let go and lose um, your life, you're going to find something so much better, not just in the life to come, but I believe also while we're here on earth.
0: We've covered a lot of territory in our brief conversation here today, Francis, and uh, you cover even more territory inside this basic video series for folks uh, that are perhaps not familiar with what it is and what's contained in there. uh, Just a moment or two, if you would, give us some insights as to some of the issues that you cover and and, kind of go deep in in the basic series.
1: Yeah, I I first, uh, you know, talk about the fear of God because I I think that's the thing that is missing the most in our in our country. That people speak so casually about him. And in the second film, I talk about following Jesus and and what that really means. Because we've had this whole uh, notion of just receiving him into your heart and and making it this this type of vague. Um, understanding of what it means to be a Christian, and I just want to get back to, well, what does it literally mean to follow him? And then I talk about the Holy Spirit, because I, I believe we've, we've missed out um, on so much, uh, so much that is available to us. And the last four films are really about the church and about the, the prayer, the, the study of the word, the fellowship, the breaking of bread that we see in the early church, and and that I believe the Lord wants for us today.
0: And uh, folks can get more information, I understand, on the series on your website at francischan.org?
1: Yes, everything's there.
0: Excellent. And again, uh, books too available. We've talked about some of his bestsellers of Forgotten God and Crazy Love. And again, the new video series, Basic, details again on the web at francischan.org. That's francischan.org. Well, Francis, it's a delight to visit with you today. Hope we have an opportunity to do it again, sir. Thank you.